Howdy, folks. Hello there. This is Andrew Bray, your sound designer and your son of your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Say hi, Mom. Hi, Andrew. I get to see you again. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, practicing, you know, a safe distance and, and everything. I don't get to... Uh, we've been talking on the phone, but this introductions with Zoom has been fun for me. It's really fun to use this technology to stay connected with folks and also be able to see you too. It's just, that's the thing, everybody out there, is uh, being a, a podcast editor for your mom is a great excuse to stay connected with your family. So I'm really, I'm really appreciating that uh, <laughs> added, uh, added uh, reason to connect with you. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> well, here, tell us a little bit about your upcoming conversation. Oh, with Laura Robb. Laura is just, she's my role model. I love her. And I did um, have a conversation with her son, Evan Robb, and uh, they just keep writing. She's written 25 books. <laughs> I've never met anyone like, yeah, really. She's just, So you're saying she's already defined her why, which is to get as many stories out there as possible. <laughs> well, she's into teaching reading, but okay. her story that she told me in this conversation about how she got started and why she continues to do it is just remarkable. I am so honored to know her. Mm. Well, stay tuned, everybody, for a conversation with Barbara Bray and Laura Robb. person here who I just adore. (laughs) I've known known Laura virtually for a long, long time. And this is Laura Robb. I'm so, so excited that you're here. Well, I'm thrilled that you invited me to come uh, and talk to you about reading. Well, it's about you. I'm going to be talking about you. In fact, let me let me introduce you to my audience. Okay. Because you have a lot to share. So author, teacher, coach, and speaker, Laura Robb, has completed more than 43 years of teaching in grades four through eight and has written more than 25 books for teachers. Yes, I said 25 and she's working on another one, right? Right, two to actually two, but it's great. It's very exciting. I'm I'm having a great time. I just am amazed. I I just get blown away. Well, you know, I think partly, Barbara, because I go back and teach. Uh, I had had to stop. I go back and work with kids who can't read in middle school. And I I Mm. spend two hours, three times a week uh, with them. And so they're teaching me all the time and I'm learning so much. So I I feel compelled to write about it. Wow. See, you do a lot with teachers, but I I think it's really important that you go back into the classroom and or go at least work with some kids so you can touch base with them. I do that all the time. Uh, Even though it's exhausting. I, I, <laughs> I don't know how you I do say, it. Why am I doing this? But you know what? When when it, when all is said and done, I love it. And they give me more, I feel, than some days than I'm giving them. So Wow. Well, Because I know you coach teachers in writing, yes, reading, writing workshops. And it's in Powhatan School in Virginia. I grew up in Maryland, by the way, so I wasn't too far from you. Right. Right. <laughs> we were neighbors. Yeah. And like you said, you coach teachers also in Staunton, Virginia, Long Island, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and West Nyack, New York. Oh, my goodness. You're all over. But you're, right. it's going to be a little different now. So we're going right, to be talking right. about that. And I just love that you... You do a podcast and you uh, write books with your son, Evan, who has been on my show and I love him. (laughs) Yes, yes. It has been the joy of my career to work with him and write with him. 
he's very good because because I've been doing teaching and coaching and writing, I really schedule my writing and I'm pretty obsessive about doing it unless something happens that I really need to attend to. Um, and he just fell right into that pattern, which was great. I, you know, I didn't have to do any convincing. And, well, and yeah, he's going on he, his own a lot. He goes on his own, and he's brilliant. He really is. I'm very proud of him. Well, he learned a lot from... He had a good role model. Well, hopefully. <laughs> so let's just do a little background on you um, so people can know like, how you got started. And Okay, you know, I came to teaching very unexpectedly. Um, I never had any education classes when I went to uh, Queens College as part of the City University of New York. I majored in English and French Lit and never intended to teach. I was going to go on to graduate school, and then I got married, and my husband wanted to leave the city. He was a singer and a voice instructor, and I did not want to leave. I love New York. It was my home, everything about the city I love. And we came here, and what I was doing was writing copy for an ad agency in the city. And he was going to Juilliard, so I was helping put him Put, put him uh, through, even though he was on a scholarship, it was expensive. And what was wonderful was I got a job teaching and uh, without any education background. And that's when I realized that the best teachers were the children. If I had the courage to ask them what was going well, what was going wrong, you know, uh, find out what they needed, I was learning and growing. And of course, I began to read a lot of literature as it, be, uh, you know, for teachers, professional books as it came available. But that first year I taught in a little country school, sixth grade, your grade, it won my heart. And that's when the story of my life really began. Wow. But now I work um, only with kids in in the public sector who are what I call developing readers. They're reading three or more years below grade level, uh, and they really need so much support and help, and the teachers need a lot of training. So um, that that's the focus of my work for the last four years, and it will be probably for a long time. And we're figuring out ways to get to help them, which is what is so important. Well, you know, it amazes me sometimes when, because I, I, I see even in high school, there are some children that can't read or, or have trouble reading. And I just can't understand how they can pass and get that far without... They just move them through. And, you know, they become uh, what a lot of them learn some behavior, compliant behaviors that some teachers like. They don't make waves. uh, They're well behaved. They fade into the background Mm. and they just get passed along, which is so sad. Oh, it's so sad. And And, I mean, every child is... It's so special. Every child is a gift, right? They're a gift. You and I, you know, you've mentioned that in your books and you mentioned in some of the things you've said. And right. that's how I believe, especially since I worked in uh, Title I schools. And, same, yeah, you have yeah, the same population. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm in Oakland, uh, right. California, and I worked in those schools and some of the others in the Bay Area. And we're, you know, to me, it was important to reach every one of them. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. My first year of teaching was in 1963, the year uh, President Kennedy was uh, shot. And I did not get a master's in education uh, until 1987. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. I had my, my child, both my children, uh, Evan and my daughter, Anina, uh, who did teaching with Teach for America. But um, I just decided that they had to be my number one priority. And I wasn't going back to school, but I did a lot of reading. And I think, you know, self-learning is very important uh, today more than ever. So um, you know, I'm glad I got my master's, but um, it, actually I would say the children taught me a lot. And they still do every day. They do. And, well, the problem is, is that teachers, you know, I'm going off of kind of what I, we were going to talk about, but right. you're bringing up some really important points is teachers really are kind of caught in the middle because they are told to teach to the test, you know, meet the standards. And and then you have kids who are all over the place and they, right. they're not really taking the time to build those relationships with the kids and understand where they learn and how they learn. And they're, they're told to use a basal and one size doesn't fit all or a novel. No. It's the same thing. And the computer reading programs are really, to me, so bad because there's no interaction. Reading is social. You can't socialize with a computer. And the selections are short. The questions are what Taffy Raphael called right there, you know, factual <laughs> questions. And they're not, uh, they're not thinking. Uh, so what was fortunate for me, Barbara, was um, my granddaughter, who is dyslexic, and Evan is dyslexic. Uh, I am mildly dyslexic, but my granddaughter, very severe. And I've worked with her um, in third grade, she was reading on a first grade level. And she said to me, Grandma, we have to work together. I'm not doing well enough in school. And so she came seven days a week. And if I went out and consulted, I had to make up the work with her. She was relentless. And she's now in seventh grade, and she read The Giver and A Long Walk to Water. She's in a regular English class. But the first year she entered fifth grade, it was in an intermediate school. And she came to the house and she said, you know what, Grandma? My friends aren't reading, and I am. You've got to come in. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll think about it. I didn't take it seriously. Well, the fourth time she came over, I figured I'd better go in, and I made an appointment with the principal. And sure enough, out of about 320 students coming from feeder schools, a third were reading way below grade level. And, you know, I said to him, no blame. Let's just let's just take a look at this issue and get started with it. I said, but I'm going to ask for a couple of things. We're not going to grade these kids unless you want to give them A's and B's with a qualifier because I'm not going to give them a D or an F. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to have, let's get that battle over with right now. And we need a lot of money for books that they can read. We'll do a lot of word work and the teachers will do uh, interactive read-alouds. That part is easy, but the kids need books and they need choice. And he got, he said, how much money should I ask for? I said, ask for $20,000. And we got 18. Um, (sighs) And it made such a difference. And so these teachers that I train, they're doing phenomenal work. And it all starts with choice and reading and feeling safe in that classroom so that, because they, kids were worried about other kids making fun of them. So we would, we got opaque envelopes for them to take home books, but we never pushed anything on it. We, we waited until they were ready to take a book home until they could choose a book that they really enjoyed. 
uh, in class. And, you know, time, at, you can't force things on children. It has to come from deep inside. And when it does, it's lasting. And and so, uh, you know, when I say that reading is an intervention, and that was one of your questions, Barbara, it really is. Um, you know, I was just looking over some things that Dick Allington said. You know, basically, he's right. If we want kids to be readers, Giving them a period, um, you know, a day on skills and grunting and groaning phonics without ever seeing. <laughs> sorry, but I'm sorry, I that, love that. Uh, but at that age, phonics doesn't work at all. I mean, no. even the National Reading Panel said after second grade, it's not going to work. And year after year, they've been doing Wilson phonics, and you know, they're still having. They were still having trouble decoding. Most of those kids had never read a whole book. And the day they read a book, I mean, I can see some of them, their faces just lighting up that they actually did it. And, Mm. you know, it can change their lives. Some of those kids made three years progress in a year because they began to read. They had such a desire to read, you know, but all they did in class was either listen to a book on tape, do a computer program, or listen to the teacher read the book out loud. And then they would go to all their other subjects and they couldn't read at all. So that's the next thing that I'm working on is okay. that reading what, you know, where you are in English language arts and then going to science, social studies and math and having materials that you can't read puts the kids right back where they were. And, and you know, they need to have books they can read all day long. OK, so I want to ask you, because I'm sure you have so many examples, all these books that you've, I, the what latest one is School Full of Readers. It has a lot of great suggestions and ideas. But when that first time you went into the school with your granddaughter's school, how did you recognize if kids cannot read, how and what did you do with each of the children so they could choose the right book? Okay, that was, oh, that's a great question. Okay, so the first year we had a, like a pilot group, we had a special intervention class, and then those kids, three teachers worked on intervention with me. And then we had a special class that had three of us, me and two other teachers. But then the kids we worked with in that class went also to a regular English language arts class. So everybody knew these children, either together or, you know, in a heterogeneous group. Mm-hmm. We would model how to choose a good fit book. You know that it took three months for some kids to be able to choose a book. Mm-hmm. They were so in the habit of choosing like Harry Potter or Stephen King, a you know, big doorstopper. That's what they wanted to show everybody they could read. In fact, the saddest thing was when a little girl came up to me and I, I said to her, Kim, that's a great book. And you know what? Maybe I can read parts of it out loud to the group and you keep it. But let me give you four other books to look at. And she looked at me and she said, but I could read four words on the first page. Now, responding to that is so hard without mm. your making a, you know, your face letting. And so I said, I, I said, I'm proud that you could say to me that you could read four words. But you and I know you have to read more to really enjoy that book. And that's why we're working together. And so that was our message. We learned to just wait. But when they all learned to choose a book, and and we had a wide range of choices, 
It was like magic. The other thing we did is we started every class with 15 minutes of independent reading of self-selected books because the teachers found that if they left it to the end of class, they never got to it. And to me, that's probably the most important piece for these Um, children, uh, along with the instructional read aloud. And so, you know, now, if you came to that school now and went into a class, it's not in session now, but if it was, you would see these kids come in, immediately go to their book, find a comfortable place, either a chair, a pillow, a sofa under their desk, and there's silence. They're reading and, you know, Um. whispering or sharing something. But it is it is amazing. And books make a difference, except that it's more than matching a book with a child. I used to, Mm -hmm. I believe that because most of the kids I worked with all my life were maybe a year below grade level. So sure, I could match a, a book. I taught six, seven, and eight. I could give an eighth grader a book that, you know, he or she would enjoy. But these kids I couldn't match a book to a child in fifth grade reading on a kindergarten or first grade level. Um, They had to learn the reason why, and we shared the research. Here's why you have to read a lot of those books. But the more you read, the faster you're going to move into other books that you'll enjoy more, that are more challenging. So I want to ask about that because I've done a lot of on brain-based learning. And it seems to me that the more experiences you have, it's changing your brain. Absolutely. So if they can read, that's actually changing the structure of their brain. And, and it's also giving them memories that right. will help them understand the next word and the next word, right? Absolutely. And, you know, what? well, the first complete, the first like real novel that they read was Stone Fox. Oh. And they did, they didn't want it to. They didn't want it to end. Oh. And so we had a big discussion that, first of all, you can replay the parts you love again and again in your mind. You can picture them. And you can also, and they said, but we wanted the author to write more. I said, well, then you can imagine more. Uh, but the author felt that he should stop there because, of course, they didn't white want Searchlight to die. For me, those were wonderful things because, you see, they were connecting emotionally to that story. And that's what bonds kids to books. And so we modeled that in read-alouds. We did picture book read-alouds, a book a week, and we involved the kids we shared our feelings. We told we told them, oh my gosh, I'm going to cry if I have to read this next sentence. And they would look at us and, you know, and, and we would say, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. It's good to be happy. Because they never, ever realized that when you read a book, your feelings are in play very deeply. Once they got that, And they got that feeling. It's like magic, Barbara. I'll tell you something, how magic it is. One, I worked in a class. They brought me in because the teacher didn't believe in independent reading. It was a couple of years ago. And this one little boy, when at the end, they did little self-evaluations. And he wrote, uh, he said, you know, if I'm really into a book at home and I'm reading and my mother calls me, I don't answer, and I won't answer unless my pants are on fire. (laughs) And he said, nothing will stop me from reading. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. It's that kind of feeling like, okay, my pants have to be on fire, but I'm not moving until I finish this. And, And so that comes with choice. That comes with having beautiful books 
We did not have uh, decodable books and you know, all that kind of, we had beautiful books written by wonderful authors. Just listening to you makes me think about some of the teachers I've worked with who, who um, would love this, this idea of falling in love with the books. Right. Do you ever um, bring in authors? We used to, but there's no money for that to bring oh. in they, visiting authors. Like no, no. I mean, virtually now. I mean, it would be kind oh, of virtually. Okay, we you know I, we haven't done it with this group, but other teachers are doing it. Yes, because we felt that they needed the time with a book. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, by seventh grade, I think uh, they're doing a lot of that, and a lot of those kids are ready for it. Yeah including my my granddaughter, who she's challenged herself, I, I, I can't believe it, to read To Kill a Mockingbird. And it is hard. She has to read each chapter mm. two times, maybe three times. She says, but I'm doing it. And then she'll come and talk about it, and she's getting it. So um, I'm really excited. And, you know, I, I told my daughter, don't say no. She'll figure out if it's not good for her. She knows enough about that. And I, I feel that with the children too. If they come to a point where I might think the book is not for them, I never discourage them. I tell them, try it. What do you have to lose? You can pick another one, you know, giving them that very optimistic choice that it's okay if you try it and it doesn't work out this time. And they, they need to have those permissions that we don't always give them, Barbara. Oh, I you know. I so agree. Uh, my daughter, my granddaughter is such a reader. She, I just got off a of FaceTime with her, and she oh. showed me three of the books she's reading right now because they're California's in shelter in place. Right. So we, uh, the kids are reading now, or they're fi- trying to figure out what to do. Right. Um, you know, I'm just going to ask you that uh, since uh, we're in a different time right now. Right. What would you say to parents about this? Okay, well, I have a message for parents and for teachers. For parents, I want them to make sure they have conversations with their children and their children understand what's going on, but that the parents are there to be comforters, to answer questions, and to be involved with them. So I want the parents to read aloud, no matter what the age group, because the book is a bridge that brings people together. They can also watch a video. Or, you know, a movie together. As long as they are together and sharing their feelings, it has an effect, a very soothing effect, I think, uh, on children. And the fact that they know their parents are there for them. For teachers, today I put a post on my Facebook page, Barbara, and I, I started out by saying I want teachers to read aloud to their children online in the morning and in the evening. I want the comfort of that teacher's voice and face to start the day. I want it to end the day before the child goes to bed. And basically, I just I want the kids to read, to be able to go out and play. And I gave one suggestion that they post a couple of poems on different readability levels, let the child choose one and practice it and perform it for their parents, which is a wonderful, you know, Tim Brzezinski talks about that. I believe that practice and performance are great. And then I suggested that they choose one to illustrate and start creating their own anthology that they will have as a keepsake for a long time. I, I see, I, and I said, don't do worksheets. 
We <laughs> want to right, we want the learning to be authentic. So mm-hmm. and and then I I'm tomorrow or Wednesday I'll post on writing, writing about reading and then other kinds of writing that they can do. Well, let's just do a little preview then. Right. What are you going to what are you going to tell them about writing about reading? I think that I like emotional responses first. Uh-huh. Um, I like the kids to say I connected to an event or a person and here's why. And I don't worry about punctuation and sentences. This is just like note-taking thinking. Uh, I like them to make lists about a character that they loved or that they hated and get all kinds of words that they associate with that character or connect to it. So, you know, it's not like essays and paragraphs, but the research was done by Steve Graham. And uh, the first thing he came out with was from the Carnegie Institute. It was a booklet uh, called Writing About Reading. But then in 2015, he did a study with a parent and Sant'Angelo. And what they found was that if kids wrote informally um, about books they could read, it had to be books they read, that their comprehension of that book could go up 24%. That's what I want for every kid. So I have to tell you, one of these little kids for this book I'm working on, he is a newcomer here two years, and the, the teacher read a poem by David Harrison. The child wanted to say the word microphone, but he didn't know it, so he drew a picture. So his his writing looks like a rebus thing, but you can <laughs> read it because for any word he didn't know, he was able to draw a picture. That's wonderful. And see, That's he actually cool. it is cool. And he wrote, yeah. <laughs> and he knew that, and he knows that the the writing was valued. So you know, and writing a drawing is writing. You know, to Uh me, it's a way of communication. So uh, writing about reading is so important, but it should not be this heavy-handed kind of thing. That's funny because you got my book. (laughs) Right, yes, just today. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, my second chapter is all about writing the about the main character in a book and the characteristics. So it's so funny that you oh, yeah. said that. I was like, oh, I did it right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, that that's what, when you bond to a character, like you, you read a book and you really connect to a character, you think about yeah. that character all day. And you know, that's yes. another thing. I want teachers, see, I think teachers need to read more. Um, some of them are, are readers and some aren't. But I remember coming into school and saying that today I might be a little flaky because I'm reading this book and it, I can't get it out of my head. And so it's going to be in the back <laughs> of my mind while we're working together. And the kids would laugh, mm. you know, but they needed to know mm. that that was okay. You know, it's a combination of so many things. But if you're a reader, you really can share so much about what a reading life is like. And Donald Graves, I'll never forget, he said this many, many times, that you should get in touch with your own literacy in order to be able to help your children become literate. Yes, I I actually use that quote somewhere, and I yeah. love it because it's, I'm now reading all the books you sent me, your books, and I <laughs> and, and I try to read them before I have the podcast. And what I find is, well, you are just not only prolific, you are very insightful. Um, this book is really this one school full oh, of readers. readers. I, I, I'm, and you and Evan wrote it together again. Right. It's amazing. But what I find is this is good for teachers and parents. I think yes. because 
it, it's not just for school. It's school. It's for learning. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's great. And, you know, we wrote Tea Makers. I think it's way ahead of its time. Uh, the mm-hmm. mainstream publishers turned it down um, and Burgess took it. And it, it does well some for some weeks and then it, it kind of slows down because we're asking everybody in a district to work together. And mm. philosophically, uh, um, both of us believe that there has to be a common thread when you're working on an initiative. And, you know, teachers can make change in their classroom, but we want school-wide change, which means the superintendent has to be involved, has to release money for books, has to go into schools. The day the superintendent came into the class that we were teaching, the three teachers, and talked to the kids, when he left, they were like starstruck. Like, he came into our class. He said nice things about what we're doing. He looked at our notebooks. It matters. It It matters. And the passion that you feel and that I feel, they need to feel and communicate because it's a kind of support. And then they need to decide what they're going to work on. But I believe that as a team, you can accomplish a lot more. And there's there's much yes. more support. It's hard when you're alone to sustain yourself. And, and that's what makes Evan a phenomenal principal because he... I've never seen anybody do so much support. He's out there with the kids. He's with the teachers. He's helping them. He comes to every you know workshop that is in the school for learning. He he he's involved in you know putting stuff on Google and and reading it and you know responding. He just he's there. His presence is mm-hmm. felt, and that that's so important. I just have to say, you two are so amazing because. When I talked to Evan, he just went on and on about you. And here you are <laughs> going on and on about no, but I love that. It's it's really special. Well, thank you. It really is, Barbara. And you know, yeah. he he's a good listener and he's a very caring person. And and that shows mm-hmm. in he's demanding. He wants people to strive for their best, but always in the most caring manner that you can imagine. And he, whatever he asks, he does. And that's Mm. important. Well, I, all I can say is you are, uh, you're so far ahead of a lot of people that what I love is that you go into the schools. I I think I'm going to have to do more of that myself now because it's been a long, well, when we can. Right. Uh, But I, but even if you go uh, for like six weeks, Barbara, that's six weeks. I did that. I did that last year. Pure gold, pure gold. It really is. Yeah, I did that last year and I was so glad I did that. It's just, I think we need to do more of that. And I'm trying to do what you're doing is putting resources, but ideas up and sharing stories. Absolutely. So, so I'm going to ask you probably to share some of your stories on some of the things that I'm doing so we can kind of get it out there. And when I see my granddaughter read, I get right. it. I get it. She's, she's just- And then she has a stack of books, right? And do you know- I have to tell you that Evan was not a reader when he was young, and I knew he did a lot of fake reading. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but 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 one day, I think it was when he was in college, he started tutoring somebody, and that child, he realized that he had to really read some of the books that he was working on with that child, and he just got so into reading that now he reads all the time. He reads sometimes a lot more than I have time to because. 
when I write a lot, I, I find I'm very tired at the end of the day, but he reads a huge amount. And we do read a book series together. We are big on on the Pendergast Mysteries uh, by Preston and Childs. We've read, I think this is book 17 or 18, so I just gave him the latest book, and then we'll have big conversations about it. So, uh, and that's fun too. And see, that's what readers do. But, you know, we don't, like in some classes, we don't let kids talk about books. And sometimes their talk is not where we want it to be, but unless they practice, it'll never get there. But you know what, Laura? I think I was just thinking of what you're saying. I was going to do other kinds of questions with you. Right. I love our conversation. This has been so much better because you went in the direction around reading and in a different direction than I thought. But it's so rich that I wanted to say, why can't we do that in school? Why can't, if kids are going to read a book and it takes them in a different direction, this is where we have to have teachable moments and let them share them. Absolutely, Barbara, which means mm-hmm. that you have to trust the kids. You have to listen, be a good mm-hmm. listener. And the other thing that I think, see, when I say people work together, that the superintendent and assistant superintendent need to understand that to do this kind of learning, you need time. So you can't have 40 minutes to teach reading and writing. It's absurd. Uh, (laughs) And it really, I mean, you you can barely. So we need teams to look at what schools are doing and think differently and think in terms of what do you want? What is your goal? For me, a school full of readers, uh, which is a great title because a school full of readers means a school full of thinkers, a school full of communicators, uh, a school full of learners, a school full of people who find pleasure in books. And what more could you ask for? Let's just say at this time when children are home and teachers and parents are home, let's really encourage them to read together and or when they read, talk about the books. Absolutely. And let the moms and dads read the book they're reading. The books, they're fun. Even picture books. I love picture books. So it doesn't matter if your kid is at the picture book stage or reading, you know, big novels, like I'm sure your granddaughter is reading. But, you know, find pleasure and show them the pleasure. And you might find that, wow, I haven't been reading enough. And, you know, this (laughs) is really helping me because, you know, our time, we have so much time and we live such a busy life that slowing down, it could be a blessing. I know it. I was talking to others and this is a very scary time, but it could, it you could take and make it an opportunity to really find, build the relationships with your family again, but build the relationships with reading again. Absolutely. I just read a book myself and I was, I read your book. <laughs> right, right. I can't wait to read yours. So, and yeah, I will and definitely write up. I will go on Twitter. You'll, you'll see. Oh, uh, I, I can't wait to read it. I mean, what I'm saying is that I'm so blessed to know you and Evan and just letting you just share your knowledge and your your background and some of the things you've done is just, uh, just warms my heart. Thank you so much, Laura. (laughs) Well, well, thank you. And thank you for having me. And this has just been wonderful. We've had a great conversation and you, you get it. You've been there. You, you feel it. I can, and, and it's wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. Well, we'll have to have you back. Both of you, maybe we'll get, bring both of you. you. (laughs) Together we're funny. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. He, he makes, he brings out the funny in me. Uh, thank you <laughs> so, so um, much, Thank Laura. you. And listen, Barbara, be safe and take care of yourself. And I know I you're will. taking care of your family, but just be well. You too. We will. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Laura Robb. Make sure you check out the blog post that goes with the podcast about Laura. It's on my Rethinking Learning website, and there are resources on reading, links that she shared to her, some of her books, and more about her story. You can subscribe to my website at barbabray.net to receive announcements, updates, and I've added guiding questions, links, and a lot more about my book, define your why there. I hope you subscribe to my podcast too, because we will be sharing ideas and stories while we're staying home during this crisis. Now we need each other more than ever. All of our stories matter. Keep sharing your story and please stay safe and healthy.